Hello, and welcome to another episode of Rotten to the Core. I'm your host, Josh Waters, and thank you for joining me. This episode was challenging, but the victims survived all the trauma they endured, and I believe they deserve to have their experiences told. I hope that maybe it can help someone who has gone through something similar, or even help prevent someone from it. We all grew up being told by our loved ones not to talk to strangers, and never go with them if they try to get you into their vehicle. Some of us may have had a few close calls, but for a few unfortunate ones, they did fall prey to the corrupt actions of another. The childlike naivete that nothing terrible could happen to them is quickly replaced by the realization that they are in dire trouble. My heart does go out to those poor innocent souls that had to experience that fear at any age, as they realize that their parents won't be coming to the rescue. For seven-year-old Stephen Stainer, this was the case. Stephen would be kidnapped, molested, raped, taken over 200 miles away, and brainwashed into believing that his parents no longer wanted him, and that his kidnapper, Kenneth Parnell, was his new father. He would be held captive for seven years until he would escape with Parnell's latest victim, five-year-old Timothy White, who Kenneth hoped to commit the same atrocities to. This already has a heaviness on my heart. I can't help as anyone but feel complete shock and heartache that someone could do these things to another living being, especially innocent, helpless children. A hard lesson we must all come to grasp is that this world is not all sunshine and rainbows, and I feel it is essential to educate ourselves on the good parts and the horrible ones. In today's episode, we will be looking into the past of Kenneth Parnell, his devious actions, and his punishment for them. I want to know what on earth could happen to someone for their minds to lead them to believe what he did would be possible, let alone act out on them. I want to in no way seek to justify his evil actions, just form a better understanding of how his rotten mind could ever concoct them. We are all from the same species after all, and I desire to understand better how these rotten individuals came to be. Know your enemy's mindset, and you may have a better chance of not succumbing to their malicious intent. On September 26, 1931, Kenneth Parnell was born in Amarillo, Texas to Cecil Frederick and Mary Olive Parnell during the Great Depression. His father would end up abandoning the family when Kenneth was six, and his mother would relocate him, his two half-sisters, and half-brother to Bakersfield, California. He would spend the rest of his childhood in and out of juvenile detention facilities and menstrual institutions. It wouldn't be until he was in his 20s, though, in March of 1951, that Kenneth would be arrested for sodomizing a young boy he lured using a fake deputy sheriff's badge, which he acquired at an army surplus store and was sentenced to four years in prison. In an interview conducted nearly 50 years later, 
Kenneth stated that he had to kidnap the child because his wife was pregnant and he had to find another sexual outlet. I'm going to pause just for a moment to let that sink in. This man was utterly inhuman. Kenneth was married twice in his lifetime and had two daughters, one from each wife. He did claim to have married a third time, but no evidence was ever found to support his claim. I hope to God that he didn't perform some twisted marriage ceremony with one of his young victims. Kenneth had claimed that he was never sexually assaulted. Still, there is evidence from interview with Parnell and Mike Eccles' book, I Know My First Name is Stephen, that he was molested at the age of 13 by a boarder in a rooming house that his mother owned in Bakersfield. There is a movie with the same title, I Know My Name is Stephen, that I watched while I wrote this. I vaguely remember watching it when I was younger, but I was too young to really understand what was happening. However, this time, I had to pause several times and just recenter my mind, trying to wrap around this story. Over ten years would pass before Kenneth would be convicted again, this time of armed robbery while in Utah. And his second wife would soon file for divorce while he was in prison. Good for her. This is all the information that I could really find about Kenneth's past. Quite frankly, it didn't help at all in figuring out how maybe his trauma could have warped his young mind into the Satanist that he would later turn out to be. Besides the alleged molestation at 13, nothing really stuck out to me as a possible cause to his mindset. Yes, his father left the family at a young age, and his mother moved them far away. But that is common in many childhood stories. I believe he had some form of mental affliction that perhaps stopped him from realizing what he did was so wrong. At least, that's my optimistic point of view, I guess. The other possibility is that Kenneth was just an evil individual who enjoyed all the pain he caused others. Getting into the tragic life of his longest-suffering victim, Stephen Stainer, who was born on April 18, 1965. He was the middle child of five to Delbert and Kay Stainer in California. The Stainers didn't have much money, but they seemed happy and close with each other. They may not have had financial security, but they tried to teach their children to be responsible and kind. Not all of them would grow up to be, though, but that's a story for another time. Stephen was a little rebellious, but not in a really bad way. He would get in trouble primarily for not coming straight home from school, and instead spent some time at the park alone. I mean, if I had to go home to a house full of four siblings and my parents, I might have tried to find some alone time myself. However, it would turn out that this act of rebellion would sadly lead to his abduction. On his way home from school on December 4, 1972, Stephen would encounter Kenneth's accomplice, Irvin Murphy. I didn't feel that Murphy's past was really relevant to this story. He met Parnell while the two of them worked at a resort in Yosemite National Park. Murphy was described by those close to him as trusting, naive, and a simple-minded man. 
He was led to believe that Kenneth was an aspiring minister and needed his help to save Stephen from a life of poverty and despair and raise him in a religious-type deal. His words from an interview later. Kenneth had commanded that Irvin pass out gospel tracts to boys outside of the school and, after seeing Stephen, claimed to be a church representative seeking donations. After convincing him that his mother would like to donate to the church, he lured Stephen into Parnell's car. Kenneth then drove his white Buick up to them, and once Stephen was inside, would drive them to a cabin not far in Kathy's Valley, which, unbeknownst to Stephen, was actually only a few hundred feet from his grandfather's home. The first night at the cabin, Kenneth started molesting poor Stephen. It would only be 13 days later that he would take it farther and started raping him on December 17, 1972. Stephen would, of course, tell Parnell several, several times during those first few weeks that he wanted to go home to his family, but sadly he would be told that Kenneth was his granted legal custody of him due to his parents not being able to afford so many children, and frankly, that they just didn't want him anymore. Can you imagine what was going on in that child's mind? Here he is being savagely subjected to things no one should be, and told that he was stuck there and unwanted by his family. My stomach is churning just thinking about the hopelessness he must have felt. God bless him. Kenneth would then start calling Stephen Dennis Gregory Parnell, keeping his real middle name and birthday as he began enrolling him into schools over the next few years. He even let Stephen start drinking at a very young age and gave him free reign to come and go as he pleased, while Kenneth worked one of his various jobs. In an interview after he was rescued, Stephen did state that he could have used that as an opportunity to escape, but... We have to remember, he was told his parents didn't want him, and he honestly believed that he had nowhere else to go. It was also the 70s, and he didn't remember his parents' phone number or how to contact them. To his knowledge, he was trapped with Kenneth, or he would be placed in an orphanage where he was told by Kenneth that he would receive even worse treatment and no freedom whatsoever. A small bright side to his time in hell with Kenneth, he was gifted a dog. A small Manchester Terrier whom Stephen named Queenie. There was, though, a woman named Barbara who lived with the two for around 18 months, who, along with Parnell, would rape the boy nine separate times when he was nine years old. She claimed later that she had no idea that the boy was kidnapped, but would she have even cared? I really doubt it. When Stephen started getting older and reached puberty, I guess Kenneth was getting tired of his abuse victim and started seeking another child to cast his vile desires onto. After utilizing Stephen to help him on several failed attempts, which Stephen later admitted that he purposely foiled the kidnappings to save those boys from the life he had grown up in, Kenneth sought the help of another teenage boy, Randall Poorman, and on Valentine's Day of 1980, successfully kidnapped five-year-old Timothy White on his way home from school. This would be the beginning of the end, though, 
for Kenneth and his depraved exploit of children. Timothy was more headstrong in his unwillingness to be conned by Parnell, refusing to believe that his parents no longer wanted him, and he was verbal in his unhappiness with the monster. That motivated Stephen to put together a plan of escape for him and Timothy. On March 1st, 1980, Stephen took White and hitchhiked while Kenneth was at his night security job. Unable to find Timothy's home address, Stephen took him to the local police station and planned to send him in alone into safety. Thankfully for Stephen, though, as Timothy was headed in, a police officer came out and spooked the young boy, who then ran back to Stephen. The officer then detained the boys, and Stephen quickly told them the youngest was Timothy White, and also told him of his identity and where he had been the past seven years. By dawn on March 2nd, Kenneth Parnell would be arrested for suspicion of kidnapping both boys, and, after conducting a background check, police found out about his previous sodomy conviction. Both boys were reunited with their families that same day, finally putting an end to Stephen's imprisonment. In 1981, Kenneth Parnell was tried and convicted in two separate kidnapping trials. He would only be sentenced to seven years and was paroled after serving five. That just, that got me right there. Only five years for everything he did to Stephen. I was shocked when I read this. Poor Stephen was held captive for longer than the man served in prison. The reasoning was due to Parnell not being charged for any of his sexual assault on Parnell or any of the other boys because it was outside of the jurisdiction of the Merced County Prosecutor and was past the statute of limitations. The Mendocino County Prosecutor, acting alone, decided not to prosecute Parnell on the sexual assaults that occurred in their jurisdiction. The justice system had failed Parnell's victims that day, but it did lead to California lawmakers to change the state laws to allow consecutive prison terms in similar abduction cases. After Stephen was returned to his family, things remained rocky for the boy, though. After being allowed to drink and smoke and come and go as he wanted by Parnell for all those years, he struggled to adapt to his parents' more structured rules. Later stated in an interview that they still viewed and treated him as their seven-year-old son, and that his dad no longer hugged him, and he even wondered if he should have returned home at all. Stephen underwent brief counseling, but never sought additional treatment. He also refused to disclose any of the details of the sexual abuse he endured from Parnell. In a 2007 interview, Stephen's sister said that her brother did not seek counseling because their father said he didn't need any. She added, Stephen got on with his life, but was pretty messed up. Other children bullied him for being molested, and he eventually dropped out of school. Stainer began to drink frequently and was ultimately kicked out of the family home. His relationship with his father remained strained. Stephen would eventually marry a girl named Jody Edmondson in 1985 when she was 17 and had two children, Ashley and Stephen Jr. He would also work with child abduction organizations and gave speeches to children about personal safety 
as well as interviews about his kidnapping, though he would refuse to speak about the sexual assaults he endured during his time with Parnell. He also joined the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints and found a job working at a pizza restaurant. Well, as I mentioned earlier, life is not all sunshine and rainbows. The life Stephen was making for himself and his family was sadly and abruptly caught short. On September 16, 1989, Stephen would be in a fatal hit-and-run accident when his motorcycle collided with a car on his way home from work, and he would die from his injuries. Witnesses later identified the driver who fled the accident, and over 500 mourners attended Stephen's funeral, including Timothy White, who was a pallbearer for his rescuer. Kenneth Parnell would never learn, though, and in January of 2003 was arrested again after attempting to convince his caregiver into buying him a four-year-old boy. He was 71 at this time and suffering from diabetes and emphysema, as well as complications from a stroke he had earlier, requiring 24-hour care in his apartment in Berkeley. His caregiver had known about Kenneth's past and fully cooperated with authorities in setting up a sting operation that would lead to his arrest. Parnell had requested that the child have a clean rectum, revealing his sexual intent. He also paid $100 for a birth certificate and had another $400 on him to seal the deal. He fully expected to receive the child on January 3rd, 2003, and was arrested that same day, telling authorities that he just wanted a family. Parnell was convicted on February 9, 2004 on the charges of attempting to purchase a child and attempted child molestation, even though no child had been targeted, thankfully. The prosecution successfully argued that sexual aids and pornography found in the apartment, along with Stephen's own testimony, were enough to prove that Parnell's intentions were criminal in nature. Kenneth Parnell was sentenced to 25 years to life under California's Three Strikes Law. I feel, though, that the first act should have been enough. Kenneth Parnell would remain locked up like the animal he was for the rest of his life at the California Medical Facility, dying of natural causes and under hospice care. He may not have received proper sentencing here, but I have full belief that what little soul he had is receiving full judgment for his life here on earth. I do appreciate you joining me on this journey into the life and crimes of Kenneth Parnell. I know this was difficult, but may it open the eyes of some people to the true evil that exists in our planet. If you or someone you see may be a victim like Stephen Stainer, please call the National Human Trafficking Hotline at 1-888-373-7888 to get help and connect with a service provider in your area. That number again is 1-888-373-7888. You can call them to report a tip with information on potential human trafficking activity or learn more by requesting training, technical assistance, or resources. Stephen I'm not sure where your soul resides today, 
but I pray that wherever you may be, that you have found peace at last, and I am sorry that your time here on earth was filled with so much pain. If you would like to stay up to date on our current episodes of Rotten to the Core, or have suggestions for future ones, please follow and like us on Facebook at It's Rotten to the Core, Instagram at It's Rotten to the Core, or Twitter at Rotten in History. Or you can just go to www.itsrottentothecore.com. I do hope that you all have a great rest of your day, and remember to watch out for one another. You never know when you could help save a life or stop someone's suffering.